The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Jesus, we just thank you. Thank you for the beautiful Jesus stories you're writing in each one of our lives. So tonight, we invite you in. And once again, we invite you in not as our guest, but as our host. And would you meet every single one of us at your feet tonight, that Lord Jesus, we would not go away the same. Would you give us hungry hearts, hearing hearts, holy hearts, that you can transform into happy hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. It's a joy to be together again tonight, the day after Valentine's. And we're dealing with Zechariah 11 and 12. And if you'll notice, if you've done your homework, and I'm encouraging all of you to memorize your verses so you can get your free Jesus book to add to your Jesus library. And you can say it to everybody, but probably not the dog. You may need a little more accountability than the puppy. But, um, but this is, the, so Zechariah 11 start, is not an easy chapter, nor is 12. So, but it starts, at, but this was the chapter God used in my, on my own life last June. It was June of 2021, and I alluded to this in scripture. So one night, I, I had been reading Zechariah in my own personal quiet time and doing Bible study on it. And then all of a sudden, one night, I woke straight up in bed, and I just sat straight up, which I don't usually do, and I go, oh my goodness, Jesus, the meaning of Zechariah in 11 is beauty and holiness come together. Aha, beauty, aha, look, beauty and holiness symbolized by the anointing oil, the coming of the Holy Spirit, beauty and holiness come together in the person of Jesus in the glorious exchange. Ah, the purpose of the book of Zechariah is the glorious exchange that God can take you and me, fill us with his precious Holy Spirit, cleanse us, wash us, purify us, even our minds. And then we can live in the beauty of holiness, which is the person of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, so that we live and, and move in him. Just like Jesus moves in God the Father and God the Spirit, so he invites us to enter into the Trinitarian, not as God, but into the Trinitarian family, and that we can be filled with the beauty and holiness and, and unity that comes from God himself. Well, I got so excited. And it was a few days later that Laura and I had coffee in the backyard, Laura Geary, and I go, Laura. And we started talking about Zechariah. Well, we got so excited. I thought I would just jump out of my skin. I got so excited. And I said, oh, I wish you could paint those things that because it's such a visual book and it's so beautiful. And uh, she said, well, maybe we could. And then I thought, no, it wouldn't be possible. But look what God's done. And he's done it for six weeks. And it's almost like we didn't choose the book. God chose the book because the God remembers, remember their names. The God blesses and he does it at this time. 
I believe there's something in Zechariah he wants for these days, these hours, at this point in human history, in every single one of our lives. And what is, and that glorious exchange with Jesus, we start out in Zechariah 11. And there's, and it, and once again, it's a poetical word picture because what you've got here is a, is a, a master craftsman of words and imagery. I mean, he's got the soul of an artist as well as a prophet. Hey, guy, not so much. You're just real practical and down to earth. And that's how it is. But Zechariah, no. And some of you that are so artistic, oh, my goodness, look what you see and what I miss because I can't see like that. But he starts out. And what does he start out in chapter 11? And he starts out, it's very sad. There's three wailings. There's three wailings. He says, open your doors, Lebanon that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O cypress trees, for the cedar has fallen because the mighty trees are ruined. So the cypress trees are wailing because the cedars of Lebanon have been destroyed by fire. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, and Bashan is Syria. It's the Golan Heights. Talk about being pertinent to our day and hour. It's right. Lebanon's still there. The Golan Heights are still there. Syria's still there. He says, well, O Sebastian, for the thick forest has come down. There's the sound of wailing of shepherds, for their glory is in ruin. And there is the sound of roaring in lions. In this case, the lions are not like an Aslan. But they are like the roaring of lions is the roaring of lions are going after the people of God and the roaring lions. And there's wailing among the shepherds. And this this picks up the shepherd imagery again and contrasts the good shepherd. That's Jesus himself, the anointed one, the Messiah in John 10. And it contrasts it with the, the hirelings in the sheepfold. So he says, well, and when, when, you, when the enemy moves in and when the comes to a people, even the creation wails. It talks about it, the second coming of Jesus when he comes, even creation will sing. And even like in different parts of scripture, like in Isaiah 61, creation sings. Because when God comes, everything begins to get right. And there is what beauty and unity because <laughs> Jesus is showing but that's not the case here because what is happening here is Zechariah is looking forward in time to the first coming of this the Messiah and he is looking forward to the time when the people of Israel will reject the Son of God the Good Shepherd and it is with great grief. It is with great grief. So he says, so he, he has Zechariah the prophet role play. It's interesting that God is a great, great pedagogical teacher. He is a teacher. Just like sometimes, like when Billy's kids were home this summer, we role play Zechariah 9 and 10 with the donkey and the slingshot and the trumpet and, and the whistle, that was the high point. 
We just acted it out so that they would really see and begin to understand that God sometimes works in ways we don't expect. Well, once what we see here is God doing something like that with his own people. And he says to Zachariah, I'd like to make you as the you you act like you're the shepherd of my sheep. So he had Zechariah be the shepherd of the sheep. So he was like the prototype of Jesus. The, 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 of, so they can get a picture of a type of Christ, what Christ would look like. So the Lord God says to Zechariah, feed my sheep. But these sheep are going to slaughter. And who's doing the slaughtering of these sheep? The ones that own the sheep. They don't feel any guilt. They sell them and they and they actually thank the Lord because of the profit they have gotten from them. They get rich. For I will no longer, their shepherds don't pity them. I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. Indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land and I will not deliver them from their land. So what Zechariah is saying here is that the shepherd, he said, I want you to be the shepherd to the sheep and be role play that, be a prototype of Christ. And because there are false shepherds that have risen, that are raised up and that are trying for the people of God, and they are not feeding the sheep, they're not caring for the sheep, they're slaughtering the sheep and they're getting rich off the sheep. And you and your homework this week looked at um, Jeremiah and um, Ezekiel 34 about the contrast between the good shepherd and the bad shepherd. And once again, we see that picture here. If we pick this, we pick this up in John 10, if we turn right there, the contrast between the good shepherd and the bad shepherd. This is in John 10. Most, and this is Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door of the is the shepherd. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. Those that walk with God and know God know the good shepherd. We hear his voice. We just talked about hungry hearts and hearing hearts. We hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Oh, I love that so much. It's not, hey, you, or it's not like when we go to the doctors, what is your birthday? Or it's not like your social security number, but it's your name. He knows you and me by our name. When we get to heaven, there will be no, no code no number, it will be your personal name. He knows us by name and he leads us out. And when he brings us out, his, uh, his own sheep, he goes before them and we simply follow our shepherd and they know his voice. That's three times he says that we know his voice. We can distinguish between the voice of Jesus, the one who loves us and knows us by name, and the hireling or the false shepherd who does not know us and does not care about us. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And yes, his sheep will not by no means follow a shepherd, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. That 
Jesus used this illustration, but the people at that time did not understand what he spoke. Then Jesus said to them again, I am the door. <laughs> He's the door. He's the door, the doorway for us to know God. Jesus is the door. How many doors have you gone through today? Everyone is a small D to represent the one who is the door, the door to know God and to know eternal realities and know the reality of the beauty of holiness, which is the exchange, all of me for all of Jesus. I am the door of the sheep. Whoever can, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but my sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And I will go in and out and find pasture. Who saves us? Jesus does. He is the door and he is the shepherd. Who provides for us pasture? Jesus does. The thief comes. And what does the thief come? The hireling, the non-shepherd, the false shepherd. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and not have it till you just barely survive. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. But you might have it more abundantly. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, hope, or dream of Ephesians 3.20. Isaiah 64.4. I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the mind of those who love him, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God is the God of the exceeding abundant, and he is the one who said, I have come in this glorious exchange, my life for your life. So you enter into that love relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the precious cleansing blood of Jesus that transforms your mind, your heart, your soul, your body, and your spirit. And then he fills you with your Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, so that you and I can go forward in victory, living in God himself, indwelling us. Oh, there's no other happier way to live. It's the beauty of holiness. And wherever Jesus is, there's always Trinity unity. And it starts inside of me. So that he puts together the real you and the real me. And he puts a harmony in my soul so that the purposes for which he made each one of us, he begins to actualize. The dreams for which he dreamed us up, he begins to be put into place. This is Psalm 20. And the, and the prayers that he is praying for each one of us, God begins to answer and make a reality in your life and mine if we will begin to live in the beauty of holiness and know him in all his glory, his sweetness, and his fullness. I am the good shepherd, he says in 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. <laughs> but a hireling, he is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he runs away and he flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. He doesn't care one thing about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the father knows me, I know the, 
And I know, even so, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. They also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up. This command I have received from my father. This is a telling of Jesus. 500 years before Jesus came. And he's telling of Jesus, the good shepherd, that the Messiah of God would come. And he would be a good shepherd. And he would lay down his life for his sheep. And Zechariah play it out. And he fed the sheep, the flock that was for slaughter. And, verse, and we're back in Nehemiah 11 and verse 7. And he took his two staffs. Now, ladies, I can only find one staff today. It's a piece of bamboo. So I pretend it's two. <laughs> can you pretend it's two? He took his staff. One was beauty and one was unity. So remember, this is beauty. And then we'll put, let it be unity. And he took his staff. And does this not remind us of Psalm 23? The, my, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So the rod was the, the staff, which would take the little sheep that were going astray and would just rein them in. Say, wait, 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 come back, come back. And then the rod was to beat off the wolves and the lions and anybody else coming to take the sheep down. Because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so there's two staffs, beauty and unity. And then when the good shepherd came, in this picture of Zechariah, there were three shepherds. Then he said, Zechariah dismissed three shepherds that were not good shepherds. They loathed Zechariah and their souls abhorred, Zechariah's soul loathed them and their souls abhorred Zechariah. But it's in the terms of me. It's the personal pronoun. It's what happened in Jesus. The false shepherds in the day of Jesus when he came. It's and it's it's in the personal, it's me. They loathe me. And he said, I dismissed them to give my people a chance to choose whether they would choose the good shepherd or the false shepherds of the day. And there were three. And when I've read and studied on this, they said they wonder if they think those are not the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, or else. The prophets, the priests, and the kings, all whom rejected Jesus at the first coming of Jesus. And they didn't want anything to do with the truth. And they chose a Barabbas instead of the Son of God. And they were religious people. It is possible for us to know about him and harbor in our hearts evil. And we can do a lot of God talk, but we don't walk the walk. And God says, I'm, I'm ready for God to produce. I'm so longing for people who say, I want to get serious about Jesus so that my heart is squeaky clean and I'm full, led, empowered, and anointed by God. And all eternity will be different because you and I lived if that reality becomes our reality. And God does that work in our souls. They missed him. They missed him and said, and so 
they actually rejected Jesus and Jesus, so the, the protection of God was removed. And he said, then I said, I won't feed you. If this is your choice, I will let your choice stand. What is that? What is dying, die. I won't move in to save. What is perishing, perishing. If you don't want me, I won't touch it. Let those that are left eat each other's flesh. And literally, ladies, that happened when Rome fell. They, there was cannibalization in, in the siege for Jews, the, for Jerusalem. They rejected the true king of kings. They didn't want a servant king. They wanted this God that would perform for them the way they wanted him to. And they wanted him to come and be a political ruler that would zap the Romans. And God said, that's not who I am. I am a redeemer God. I don't zap. I allow judgment to come because it's your choice. But he said, I am a redeemer God. And then he took his staff and he broke it. And I'm sorry, bamboo is very strong and I don't have strength to break it, but it's broken. Let's pretend. <laughs> and he broke it. And the covenant of the privileged covenant of the people of God, the Jews, to walk with God was broken because they chose to crucify Jesus instead of worship him. And the covenant was broken. And the poor of the flock, which is the remnant. The beautiful thing is in God's kingdom, there's always a remnant. There's always those that say, oh, I want to love Jesus no matter what. Though none go with me, yet I'll follow. There's the remnant. The poor recognized who he was. And they knew that this was the word of God. And then. Zechariah, as he, as he walks through this to the Jews of his day, telling about the coming of the Messiah if 500 years later, he said, it is, if it is agreeable, pay me my wages. And ladies, it's 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Then I said, give me my wages. So they weighed out for me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That princely price that's set on me. There's a little bit of irony of, in that, is there not? That the son of God was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. So I took the 30 pieces and I threw it into the house of the Lord for the potter. And remember in Matthew's account where the, the Judas, after he betrayed Jesus and he was remorseful, then he took the 30 pieces of silver and goes, I've, I've done wrong. And he threw it down on the temple floor, just like it says here. And then he went out and he hung himself. And then they picked it up and they said, what can we do with this? They're very religious. Remember, this is blood money. 
So then they buy the potter's field. What was the potter's field? It's where you take and throw out all the broken shreds of pottery. And remember in Laura's first video on our first night where she showed the pots that had been broken and then they had put them back together with gold. Is that not a picture of what Jesus does for every one of us? We're thrown on the ash heaps of life and God comes and he puts us back together and he puts us and he cleanses and purifies and then he rebuilds, recreates and remakes us and he uses the finest of goals because last week we even read about, remember at the end of nine, we are his shigula. We are his precious treasure. We are the priceless jewels in his crown and he knows us by name. Every single one of us. If there had only been one person, Jesus would have died for you and for me. Do you want to know how much he loves us this Valentine's Day? This much. There's no words. Do you know how much he loves us this much? And I just, when I was a mom and, and um, we used to have, I was kind of the resident mom in the backyard and after school, all the neighborhood kids would come to my house because I had popsicles or cookies or something. And there were two little children that would come and they lived up the street in a little duplex and it was a live-in situation. And the little girl was five and she was Jessica and they would come down to my house. I'm not sure their mother at news. I tried to call her when they showed up and she didn't really seem to know or care. And the little boy, they just called boy because she was, he was named Ray after the last paramour of the mother. So I always called him by his name. And then I thought, I don't know how long they're going to be in my backyard. So I remember every time they'd come and they'd stand at the door real forlorn, I'd give them cookies and I'd give them uh, popsicles. And then I'd talk to them about Jesus. And then I said, I want to teach you a verse. For God so loved Jessica. That's me. That he gave his only son, Jesus. Who's that? Oh, he's in heaven. He loves you so much, Jessica. He died for you to make your heart clean. Oh, for God so loved Jessica that he gave his own son, Jesus. That if Jessica believes in Jesus, she will not die, but will live forever. Then we say it for Ray. And then she goes, so after a while we go, we live forever. And I'd say, how much does Jesus love you? This much. And every time they come, they, we'd say it until they would say, we know it, we know it. And we'd all say it together, then they'd say it. And then one day they were gone. But do you know what? And I don't know what happened. They packed up, moved out. They were gone from the neighborhood. But in my heart, I knew in life of two little children, there was the word for God so loved Ray and God so loved Jessica. 
And I believe that that is the message of the hour that God wants to instill in our hearts so that we are open doors for Jesus to come because we have opened the door. Revelation 3.20 for Jesus to come into us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man or woman or child will open the door, our young person, I will come into him and he will come into me and I will sup with him. And it is around the table, the fellowship of love, because Jesus Christ is love incarnate. But do you know the tragic thing in our story tonight? is they rejected the good shepherd. And the, beautiful, the thing about God is he lets us reject him. Because love can never be coerced. It is a gift given. It is a gift I can give to Al and he can give to me. But I can't demand it. It is a gift of oneself to another. And God offers the sacrificial lamb, Jesus himself, to us. That they took 30 pieces of silver and they chose Barabbas. And there's a difference in the story of Peter that you did for homework and Judas. And also in what you had for homework. Remember John 12 in the same chapter. There is, in the same chapter, there's Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus for burial with alabaster box love, all she had, she gave to him. I think the highest form of love that poured out alabaster box love. But in that same chapter, around the same table, is Judas. And then in that same group are two men, one who betrayed Jesus and the other one who denied him three times, Peter. One ended up in remorse, Judas, and was lost. But one, Peter, denied him three times. He wept tears, but he wept tears of repentance. And there's all the difference in this world and the one to come between the two sets of tears. I want to know tonight, do you know Jesus in the glorious exchange and in the beauty of his sweetness for you? Tonight, you can. The only thing separating you from him is your self-will. And your sin. So then the, in, in verse 15, Zechariah said, the Lord says to Zechariah, now I want you to pretend you're the foolish shepherd. Oh, no, no, no. In verse 14, then he cuts the other one, unity. Because whenever you and I reject Jesus, and all his beauty and love. Unity goes too. Because you and I then enter into isolation. So the only one I really care about is me, myself, 
and I. And there's nobody more lonesome in all the world. And God wants to come tonight and set us free so I can care. And that's a mark of the filling of the Holy Spirit so that God says, I'll take care of you, Bethy Pooh. I'll just take care of you. Now, let me love others through you. And then you love others. Let me love through you. And I'll just take care of you. And then you have the happy chance to let Jesus love through you and me, even the unlovely, whoever he brings into our lives through the sheer sweetness of the Holy Spirit. But then if you'll look back, you'll notice the loving, tender care of Jesus down through your life, tenderly taking care of you and me. And he speaks the heart language of every single one of us. And he literally sends red roses into our lives. Every time something real special comes, I think, oh, it's red roses from Jesus. It's red roses from Jesus. And it's like Psalm 21, 3. I will surprise you with the blessings of my goodness and set a crown of pure gold upon your head. And do you know what that crown is? His loving kindness, his glory, his beauty, his, his faithfulness. And even I found this week, it says um, gray hair is a crown of the elderly. And I thought, Lord, who knew? You tell them the nicest things. <laughs> And that again made me have a whole new feel for the happiness of being good. <laughs> Look what God does. He never thinks the way I do. We think, oh, we don't want to get old. And God goes, oh, it just gets better and better because you're entering into the beginning of a new beginning where you will know me face to face and nose to nose. And not just in the reality you want. Oh, ladies, he's so good. He's so good. Then he said, so wherever Jesus isn't, there's no beauty. Think of our violence in the streets, smashed windows, broken cars, burned out buildings, and there's no unity. It's every man or woman for themselves. Then the Lord said, take the implements of the foolish shepherd, for I will raise up a shepherd who won't care for those who are cut off nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he will eat the flesh, their flesh and tear their hooks and pieces. So the people rejected the good shepherd, the Messiah, the son of God. And they chose Barabbas and the leaders of the day. And in 70 years, Jerusalem and Israel were destroyed. And nothing was left. And until eight, 1948, they were all over the world with no hope. But it's not the end of the story. Because for all of our stories, as long as there's life, it's never the end of the story. There's always hope. There's always hope. And there's always future and hope. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11. Behold, for, behold the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. If you will trust me and love me 
and let me be all I'm supposed to be in your life so I can protect you and take care of you. So then it goes on in chapter 12, the burden of the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heaven. This is the beginning. This is beginning to prepare us for not the first coming. The first burden came in nine. Remember when he's coming the first time as Messiah and they reject him. But now 12 through 14, we're looking at the burden of the Lord for the second coming. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And now who is this Lord a host? He said, well, in case you've forgotten, I'll just run it by you again. He says, I'm the one who stretched out the heavens that we all looked at the today and they were beautiful here. And I'm the one who lays the foundation of the earth. But then once again, it's the personalization, the God who knows you and me by name. He's the one who puts the spirit of man and woman within us. The nephesh of God, the breath of God, the wholeness of God, the completeness of God in me, in you. And he said, the enemies of Jerusalem will come against Jerusalem. And he, for the next five verses, he talks about that. But they will not prevail because God isn't through with the Jewish state or the Jews 800 times in Holy Scripture, Jerusalem is mentioned. 800. And God is talking about in Revelation, the new Jerusalem that is coming. He said, I'm not through with the Jews and I am coming. And he said, the nations are going to rise up against the Jews, which we see to this day, even uh, the, and the and, and antipathy against them. I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness or reeling to all the surrounding people when they lead, lay siege against Jerusalem and Judah. And it shall happen in that day, a heavy stone, a Jerusalem will be a heavy stone to all peoples that would heave it away and cut it in pieces throughout the nations of the earth. I will strike everyone that comes against them, their horses with confusion, their riders with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and strike every horse, every means of weaponry that comes against Judah and every horse and every people with blindness. And the governors of Judah will say in their heart, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. God will move in and he will protect Jerusalem and he will protect the state of Israel because he's not quite through yet with his missionary sending people, the Jews. And I found, well, I know just one minute. And then he says, and that day, and I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan and a wood pile, a fiery torch in the sheaves. They will devour all the surrounding peoples at the right and at the left. But Jerusalem will be inhabited again in her own place in Jerusalem. I will let the Jews come back to Jerusalem and they will be there and I will protect them. He said, I will save the tents of Judah first and the glory of the house of David and the glory and the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day, I will defend all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
the one who is feeble in that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. And here it is, even in the days pre before he does come back, or even before the coming of the end of the world with the battle of Armageddon, when the forces of hell come against the people of God, God will lift up a standard against of the of standard against them and say, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because God isn't ever done with any of us. And I found an interesting verse in Romans. When the Jews rejected him, in Romans 11, 20, 25, but I do not desire that you be ignorant of this mystery or let you be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Because in the Jews' rejection of Jesus, what did God say? Well, we'll just wait on that. And then he took an apostle Paul and a Timothy and a Titus and a Philemon and a Lydia. And he went to you and to me. He went to the whole world. He went to the whole world. And in the interim, while he's waiting, waiting to bring in his people that were to be the missionary agents. What did God do? He used that to go to the world. To go to the world. Because God is the God of the whole wide world. Our son Billy just had the privilege this weekend of going to Pocock country in Northern Uganda. And they were evangelized by Pocock, Kenyan Pocock people. Because a little missionary took some Africans from Kenya. She was a nurse to vaccine Pocock children on Swiss, Swiss missionary air. And she visited him her whole tenure until finally there was a move of God in the Kenya Pococks. And then they and then they and then they reached out to their their tribal relatives in Uganda. So the Bible's been translated into Pocock. But not anybody particularly can read. So they said, hmm, we have a problem. So they trained up a Pocock to put it on who could read, and then they got him to put it on recorders, and he took the Bible in book form to the Pocots of Uganda this weekend, and he took the Bible in oral form that they can listen to right now, today, without reading a lick, the Bible today in Pocot. And he said, I felt like Abraham, there were no clocks, no electricity, there were goats in the field. And what we did, we had dinner at 10 o'clock at night under the moon. In the interim, while God is waiting for the people of his people, the missionary agents that were to, to declare, 
He said, well, I'm waiting for them to come in. And some are coming, the Jewish people. He said, it is an opportunity for the whole world, the Gentile world to hear how good Jesus is. And he knows each one by name. So he said, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness. This is my covenant with them, which I will make when I take away their sins. That is what he said. Isn't that a happy thing to do in the interim while you're waiting for the Jews to get a change of heart? Now, the rest of the chapter is about just that happening. We're not quite there yet, but, it, but I believe it's coming. So then he goes, then he says in verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, which is spirit of prayer. These are the Jewish people themselves. And then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, they will mourn in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, the family of the house of Nathan and their wives, and the family of the house of Levi and their wives, and the family of Shammai by themselves and their wives. All the families of the remain, every family and their wives by themselves. What is he saying here? God will pour out. And I love that pour out. Every time in scripture, it talks about the Holy Spirit. It talks about the pouring out. I will pour out a spirit of grace and of intercession on the people of God, on the Jewish pe people. And then there would be, they will look with favor. And what is repentance? When I begin to look at Jesus, I begin to look at Jesus and I look away from my sin and I look at Jesus and then God begins to move in your heart and my heart. And then we begin to mourn for that, that we've done. And we begin to mourn that we have pierced the one that has, has died for us. And there's godly sorrow that leads not to remorse, but repentance. And we are transformed. The power of the gospel of Jesus, the power of the gospel of Jesus to set free. And Jesus wants to come today and he wants to do that. He says, I'm asking for what he longs for is to pour out a spirit of grace and supplication. And, you know, that is the same word for beauty. Because when Jesus comes, he who is the beautiful one, beauty and intercession are entwined together because then with spirit of getting our hearts right with God and then our hearts right with one another. And then God can begin to pour out his spirit on others and eternity is different. And the worlds in which we lived are different, even down to Walmart or wherever we go, because the presence of triune God indwells even the likes of you and me. Is that not good? Is that the sweetest thing? And they will look, and then what is all this about the families? It's like individual revival, 
and then family revival, and then corporate revival, and then church revival, and community revival, state revival, and national revival that then slouches around the globe. <laughs> when you and I begin to see a vision of Jesus, the one who was pierced for us, who shed his blood for us, and we say, no, I don't want the false shepherds. I don't want to fill my life with Phillips. I don't want to live so I, I listen to the lies of the evil one and see he's not say he's not trustworthy. I want to walk in love and obedience to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, here I am, all of me for all of you. And then begin to see the unfolding of the purposes of God uniquely made for every single one of us on this call. And the beauty of Jesus is he has no clones. And the preciousness of Jesus is he longs for you to come home. To come home. To come home. And it's included not only the husbands, but the wives. It's for all of us. If we will. If we'll come. I remember, and with this I'm through, but I remember we were in grad school. I wasn't, Al was in grad school. He was getting his PhD. So I had two little girls, Katie Beth and Cricket. And so we were overseas, he was getting it in England. And so um, I was in a Bible study and in that, and it was a precious Bible study. But it was, an, it was a very scholarly group. I mean, it was a very scholarly atmosphere, academic, you know, very academic. And there were, and then the group itself was a very posh group and very, there were a number of PhD candidates in the group itself, women. And then many of them had, they were very just, I was intimidated by them. That's the truth. I was <laughs> just intimidated. So I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I, I'm going to be here and be housewife. I need to be something and do something and be much more impressive than I am. And so, but I couldn't quite think what it was. And I knew I couldn't paint. I knew I couldn't do artwork. I knew I couldn't get a P. I mean, I thought, well, what do you do? I mean, I don't know what to do. So I was casting my around in my mind because I felt so inferior and so. Um, just inferior. So I cast around in my mind what I should do, but I couldn't come up with any solution. So the good thing was I was, I loved Jesus. I had my quiet time. So I ran it by Jesus. So I said, Jesus, I really do feel I need to be making something and finding my identity and my fulfillment so that I'm being somebody and doing something. Because uh, just caring for two little girls didn't seem real like I was doing all I should. So, so then Jesus listened to me real sweetly. He's very polite. He listened to my quiet time. And then after a few days, as I would go on and on and kept getting more and more intimidated, he said to me one day, 
Bethy, I've got an idea for you. I go, oh, what could it be? What is it? I was all excited. Do I pay classes? Do I do this? Do I do that? He said, well, just spend more time with me. I was just nonplussed. I said, what? That isn't what I had in mind at all, Jesus. He said, no, I kind of caught the gist of that. I realized I wasn't quite what you had in mind. So, but he said, you know, those babies, those little girls go down for their naps. And do you have your morning quiet time? What if you just spend the time for their naps with me? And let me begin to talk to you. And let you and begin to find who you are in the reality of who I am and in the reality of my word. So I thought about it, that Jesus is sweet and he's, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but to my heart at the time, it felt a little sneaky. He put a hunger in my heart, (laughs) a hunger. And then I thought, well, and I didn't quite know how to be all impressive and fulfilled and smart. And I didn't know how to do all those things. So in my need, on the other side of the world for many family members, and of course there was no email, so there was no nothing. You just had snail mail. You didn't call unless somebody was dying. I turned to Jesus and he came. He came to a little lonesome student wife on the other side of the world with two babies, just like Angie was talking about today. Well, then the more real he became in my life, the more I began to talk about it. Because you know, when you love someone or something, you talk about them. And you don't think about talking about them, you just do. And then prayer began to mean so much to me. Everybody that came to see me or if I went to lunch or anything, I just say, oh, could we pray? Do you want to pray? Let's just pray. Well, after a while, one of my friends who was a precious gal, she goes, Ben, I don't know what's happening to you, but you are getting to be a little obnoxious. You just want to pray and talk about Jesus all the time. Can you not just scale it down just a little? So I thought, oh, well, I don't want to be obnoxious and I, I don't want to be offensive. So, okay, I can do that, I guess. So I got my eyes off of him. So we were, the two of us were invited to an Indian lady's home. She was, her husband was a graduate student as well. And our kids were all the same age, all like preschool. So she was a Hindu. Well, I was very non-offensive. I didn't say a word about Jesus. And I just, um, and and I didn't, I just didn't say anything. So we got out of the tea and the playtime. We're walking home and my friend turned to me and said, why didn't you share Jesus with her? And I said, well, why didn't you? And she said, well, I was waiting for you. And then I would have. And I said, well, you just told me that I'm being too offensive and I'm just being too whatever. And I'm trying not to be that. She said, well, you blew it. Well, I went home and cried 
and cried. And if I could have called my mother, I would have, but I couldn't because it's way too expensive. And I just cried and cried. So Al comforted my heart so sweetly. But I just was, I said, Jesus, I don't know how to follow you. It's just too hard. Where are you again? Have you ever been there? Then Jesus sent me some red roses. <laughs> I didn't know enough to call them red roses, and that day I do now. <laughs> the next morning, it was Saturday. And so it was afternoon. Al had gone for a run. Run. We were in an English flat, second floor. The doorbell rang. I went downstairs. The babies were sleeping. And there was this elderly British couple. And I said, Dr. and Mrs. Morris, what are you doing here? We had met them when Al preached in the St. Nyat Circuit for the Methodist Connection in Cambridge. And they had been missionaries in India for many years. I said, did you come to market? And they said, no. I said, did you come to see Al? They said, no, they're still standing outside the door. I said, well, why did you come? <laughs> and they go, to see you. Oh, I said, well, please come upstairs. I let him upstairs. I served him tea, then I sat down. They said, this morning we were having our prayer time together. And Jesus laid on our hearts, you. I met him one time, ladies, and said, you need to go tell Beth a story. So we did. They drove the 40 miles to my house. And they said, we believe Jesus has a story for you. We're not quite sure why you need it, but we're going to tell you. Said we were missionaries in India. We were longing for Jesus to do something. And we had a hospital and an orphanage and a school and a church. And we were praying and we were asking God for revival, but nothing was happening. And said the reality was the missionaries didn't like each other. There was no unity, <laughs> the anointing oil. <laughs> And the Indians didn't like each other. And the Indians didn't like the missionaries. And the missionaries didn't like the Indians. Nobody liked anybody. We were pitiful, puny, powerless, and prickly. And he said, then God sent the gift of all gifts. He sent a hunger. <laughs> he sent a hunger. It was like, we're not doing anything. What are we doing? We need a new touch from God himself. Then one of the other mission, younger missionaries had an idea. He said, let's go up to the mountain and meet God and not come down till God has met us. And the phenomenal things, ladies, is that's what happened. That little team of British missionaries went up to the mountain, 
left the valley. And they began to wait on God in prayer and in fasting and in Bible study and in sharing. And then what began to happen in the upper room to a Peter began to happen to that group. Sins were confessed. Hurts were shared. Disappointments were issued. The needs of their hearts became open and, and they began to see Jesus high and lifted up, pierced for them. And they began to mourn over their sins, just like the Jews will do one day. But we don't have to wait. And then they began to make things right with God and with each other. <laughs> and he said, do you want to know how long it took for God to cleanse and purify our hearts? until there was beauty and unity in the body of Jesus. Six long weeks, but they seem like days, just days. We came down from, the, and the people on the valley, our Indian brethren, the, the people in the village said, where did all those people go? And they said they went up into the mountain to meet God. And the villagers said, well, I hope he meets them. They are the grumpiest pinch of people we ever did see. I want to know, are you and I grumpy? It's usually because we haven't let things go. They haven't gone our way. So after six weeks, they came down. And the grumpiness was gone. And there was, a, there was a joy in the camp. And the joy of the Lord was a strength and a radiance and a beauty. Well, they, the, Dr. Morris said he and his wife got back down, not 24 hours, and that they were getting ready. They were going to get it ready to go to surgery. And there was a knock at the door, but it was four o'clock in the morning. So they thought, oh, somebody's sick ahead of time. And it was a big knock. And then, so they opened the door, and it was the egg man, the egg man who had waited and served eggs to that mission compound for 28 years, a good Hindu, never been touched by the gospel. And those missionaries got back down full of the presence of Jesus coming out of his presence full of the glory of God and the beauty and unity of Jesus. And that egg man knocked at that door and he said, I have to find Jesus now. I can't bear my sins. All I can see is the face of Jesus pierced for me. How do I get right with God? And a revival swept through that part of India because Jesus had come to a group of missionaries. Could it be that Jesus wants to come to your life and mine and your church and mine, but he can't come because we are not all his reflecting the beauty and glory of the eternal God. And God came and he looked at me and he said, Beth, 
I don't know what God's saying to you, but don't spend less time with him. Spend more. Then they stood up, said, thank you very much for the tea and walked out. And I went and knelt by my little green chair and I said, Jesus, Jesus, let me pay any price to keep your presence alive and well in me. Not for everybody else, but just, Jesus, I need you. I want to know tonight, do you need Jesus? He's available for you. Are you willing to pay any price to keep his presence? Are you hungry for Jesus to do a new thing? Not in Al, not in your husband, not in your kids, not at work, but in you. That hunger is his gift to you because he wants to lead you to a wider place of his goodness and his love. And as you enter in, you know what the mark of the revival was at Asbury? You walked into Hughes and it was like you walked in to love and no one wanted to ever leave. Oh, holy Jesus. Oh, we worship you. Come Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet spirit, we pray. Come in your strength and your fullness. Come in your own gentle way. Oh, tonight, would you come, you who are beauty and you who are joy and unity, would you come and put the fragmented pieces of our lives together? So we reflect your glory and your beauty to a lost, broken, dying world. In the name of the Father, in the name of his son, Jesus, and in the name of the sweet Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>